It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day, listeners, and welcome to the Two Jacks all around the world, and uh, then coming all the way back to Australia. And joining me, as usual, is uh, Hong Kong Jack, all the way in Hong Kong. What's going on in Hong Kong at the moment today, mate? Uh, bleak and grey, but apart from that, it's fine. No dramas. That sounds good. There's plenty of drama around the world, and we'll get to that. Um, we, we, but do in the meantime, good fi- we do have good figures. The numbers of visitors, people coming back across the, the border from the mainland, are starting to ramp up again. Still very low. But you know. what are the what are the COVID, COVID numbers like? They just don't bother. Well, I don't anymore. think anyone knows. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, New South Wales election on Saturday, Jack, and. Uh, Look, I, I, I hasten to stick my chest out and say, by gee, I got it right on Friday um, because we have got a, what looks like a minority government, probably around 45, 46 seats. A little bit different to what was being claimed on um, on uh, on Saturday night and indeed yes, on Media I, Watch last I, night, landslides and what have you. I haven't watched Media Watch, but I, have, I had my eye on Twitter over the weekend. There was a lot of people saying how terrible the journalism was that they hadn't got it right again from the from the federal election. Um, and I thought, well, that's a bit premature yet to be um, to be saying that. Yeah, uh, look, it, it was pretty obvious, even on the even on the, uh, the night of the count and certainly the next day, that there are a number of seats where um, the libs were coming back. And again, not to stick my chest out too much, Jack, uh, I did predict that Goulburn would stay with the Liberal Party and uh, Labor was ahead on the Saturday night, so they were awarding that seat to Labor and it hasn't panned out that way. Labor has picked up Penrith. Uh, there's a seat, I'm um, just trying to think of the name of it, in Borkham Hills Way, where the Libs have, have fought back too. And the Libs always do, as we know, go pretty well on postals. Yeah. So it looks to me 45, 46, that sort of order. Um, it won't bother um, uh, Labor too much. Um, uh, it, they've already received uh, guarantees of uh, confidence and uh, financial bills going through, supply bills going through. Uh, from um, key independents and the Greens. So they will and form in any, government. Event, in any event, the way it works is that Dominic Perrottet would have been prepared to advise the government, the governor that sh- that tell her that he couldn't form government and yeah. that she should call on Chris Minns, even if there was no guarantee from the Greens. You know, so. Well, it, yes, that's right. But, but that was the other thing that struck me about it. This was a... Uh, for a New South Wales political contest, it was uh, a very gentlemanly affair between the two leaders uh, and uh, Chris Minns was reported uh, yesterday as saying that he will consult widely with Perrottet, with the Perrottet government and particularly Dominic himself as a former Premier and he said, uh, Minns said basically it'd be a mug not to do that, um, that, uh, that Dominic understood the... Uh, the levers of government as well as anybody. Um, so, um, yeah, a very gentlemanly affair at that sort of leadership level. There'd been a lot of criticism about Labor's approach, but when we looked at the band of seats and the swing they needed to form a majority government, 
and and bunched up in that nine seats that they needed to win were a couple of nat seats that probably weren't going to go. Um, and so they needed around a sort of 6% swing. Well, if you count the two nats out, it was getting into the sort of 8% before they could form majority government. So it looked very, very likely to me that there would be a minority government. Uh, I thought Labor might lo- uh, win as few as four, but it looks like they'll win somewhere around eight. And um, uh, it could have been as few, few as four, so I don't resile from any of that. Um, but, yeah, I'm uh, very pleased that I got it right, Jack. Well, we had the advantage. We, we, we both spoke to a couple of the hardheads in the Labor Party who can we actually did. count. You know, yeah, yeah, blokes who blokes who are realistic counters too, you know, and yeah. make up their own mathematics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that seemed to be the likelihood. I know there was a, um, the news poll in the end showed the news poll was just about spot on, um, which is uh, very pleasing for the people running that um, uh, because polling's been a been a little bit uh, happens uh, been a little bit all over the place in recent times. The, the media watch angle, Jack, was um, the the media had basically called this as too close to call, you know, and and that's kind of the way the media is going to be anyway. Because if they're going to say, "Well, this is all over," <laughs> no one's going to watch their news. So so that uh, so that that uh, that was that. So Chris Mins has done the job. I think you'd be a very popular leader. Uh, in uh, in New South Wales for some time, he, he's got that nice guy approach about him, and uh, and uh, he will be involving the coalition, uh, including uh, Don Perrottet, in his first uh, few steps as uh, as premier. Um, um, so, so, how did the teals go? Um, well, actually, I should have had a look today. Um, Pitwater and uh, Wakehurst seem to be on. I haven't had a look at the figures today in the, in the latest count. Uh, they no, were the there, were no, there was nothing new so far this morning. Um, is is Wallandilly one of theirs, or is that somebody else? No, well, that's look, yeah, sort of, sort of, but not. Uh, Wallandilly is actually uh, where I uh, cast mm-hmm. a vote, um, and uh, I met uh, uh, I met uh, the, the the eventual winner. I met the Labor candidate too, and I uh, put my Put my vote in on a Friday night, uh, and um, uh, she's a former Liberal, and uh, and she wanted to be a candidate, but she kept getting factional, uh, getting get, getting the, mm. the factional elbow out of the way. So yeah, I wouldn't call her a teal, mm. um, although it's been claimed a bit that way. Um, uh, Wakehurst and uh, uh, well, I, I, I would say Wakehurst is is is. And I'm, I don't want to get them confused, but. But, but those those two on the North Shore are possibles for the Teals. Yeah, Wakehurst is, uh, includes a fair bit of Tony Abbott's old seat. Yeah, um, does, so, yeah. so Forest Hill, where my wife's family are from, Forest Hill, Killarney Heights, Forestville, um, all the way down to Brookvale. Um, so that's not surprising that it's a sort of a Teal territory, really. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I got the same... Got the same uh, um, a view of, of Pitwater. Yeah, so, so those two are, are, are but, but, but no, no great peel um, uh, peel sweep this time. Uh, not really, no. The, but the swings that were required. I mean, I know it can be you can get massive swings with Indies uh, coming in, but the swings that were required in places like North Shore and Manly were just 
for me too much. Yeah. Uh, and and certainly the bookies uh, had it that way too with yeah. uh, Lib's fairly firm favourite. Now, when it comes to the miners, um, uh, besides the teals, the Greens, yeah, their votes, the vote held, but it didn't grow. No, uh, point, and 0.1% growth, I think. That's not much. Yeah, no, it's basically as you were. And 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 also uh, we saw um, uh, we saw Labor really take them on in Balmain and, mm. and lost, you know, didn't win the seat, didn't gain it, but um, that is that is there for the taking next time. Um, uh, it, the other green seat was well held. I was a bit surprised by that. I was a bit surprised by the Balmain result. I thought it would be a lot, uh, lot more, uh, you know, a, a, you know, big sort of swing towards the Greens, or at least they'd stay as they were. Um, so um, uh, they just did okay. One Nation's gone backwards. Um, certainly in the upper house vote, they're down by by a point. Uh, Elizabeth Farrelly, I don't know what we quite say about Elizabeth for these Elizabeth Farrelly independence, other than they chalked up one, I think one point three percent in the upper house, where they didn't have anything before. So that's one point three percent swing towards them, of course. Um, that would be the literary vote. Yeah. So look, what we can see is that the is the vote switched from Liberal to Labor. That's yes, that's basically much. what happened. Um, and uh, and and that sort of uh, uh, none of the above um, sort of uh, uh, independent or small party vote didn't really materialise to the left or to the right. It looks like there'll be a, a, a cannabis legalised cannabis kitty in the the upper house. Um, still yet to be worked out. Um, the way the numbers are at the moment, I'll just have a quick look. Could, could, uh, could this person be the first person to chuff down on a joint in the in the precincts of Parliament House? <laughs> well, there's two in Victoria now, and uh, there's two in the upper house in Victoria now, and and I'd say almost certainly there will be one um, in the New South Wales upper house. Um, so there were 21 up for grabs in the 42 seat chamber. Labor's won eight of that 21. Coalition uh, six. Possibly seven greens, two. That's going to remain fairly firm. One nation, only the one. Legalised cannabis, one. Lib Dems, a chance of one. The Shooters, a chance of one. The Animal Justice Party, a chance of one. Uh, and and uh, when I when I talk about that, it's it's likely that some of that will go to the coalition. Um, so one of those Lib Dem Shooters or the AJP. May cede a uh, an upper house seat to uh, to the coalition as the postals come through. What does it all mean, Jack? Uh, it looks to me like um, uh, the way we saw it earlier on that that the Liberal Party had been in government for for, for twelve years and it was sort of time for it. And they weren't 16, a bad government. Sixteen was they, too far. Yeah, yeah uh, they were a bad government, but they were a bit accident prone. There'd been a few too many scandals, and time was up. Well, that's what happens when governments have been in for a while, isn't it? Particularly when they've had leadership changes and so forth. They they tend, they tend you tend to have your um, your your interchange bench playing at centre half forward. Um, yeah, you know, in senior yes. ministries and yeah. uh, uh, well, one of the big one of the big wins. And an old Labor favourite candidate uh, picked up Monero. There's a seat uh, once held by John Barillaro, and uh, I guess that comes as no surprise. 
Yeah. Um, because uh, every time John got a, John Barrels Barillara got a mention <laughs> during the campaign was a bad day for the coalition. Mm. Now Barry Cassidy uh, piped up a bit on uh, Twitter uh, on Saturday night, Jack. Uh, uh, he said, "Now that the coalition doesn't govern anywhere on the mainland, time to accept. I guess we go sick. It's time to accept that people care about climate change." And they will never flirt with right-wing religious zealots and their awful discriminatory prejudices. Hmm. I was rather amused at that because the the, the new premier is a is a Catholic from Cogoromaris Brothers, um, uh, uh, and is probably um, more in favour of um, of continuing coal right-wing mining religious with, zealots, <laughs> continuing coal mining, etc. Than the outgoing premier. No, they didn't pick up the upper hunter. Look, the other tweet from Barry uh, that I did pick up, that is actually worth dis- discussing. If you want to better understand what the red map of Australia means in reality, have a look at these figures. In lower houses around the country, including federally, Labor now has, based on New South Wales projections, we could take a couple off now, uh, so, but he, he quoted the figure of 346 seats to the Coalition's 198 um, and that is a significant gap. Obviously, you know it doesn't mean much in um, in um, uh, no. In, and you have in, to remember the overall the, scheme of things. <laughs> the last time things looked this bleak for the Liberals was two thousand and seven, um, uh, and within uh, four years they were in power back in power in New South Wales and stayed there for twelve years, and within six years they were back in power federally and stayed there for ten years. Well, might not be so bold as to suggest that's because Labor pulled out the um, <laughs> pulled out the company pistol and shot themselves in the head. Yeah, there's a bit of that um, um, both, both in both New South Wales and in federally. That's true. There's yeah. a bit of that, but you shouldn't sort of just because you're in front today doesn't mean you're going to be in front in three years' time. Yeah, look, uh, the other the other big thing for us is the Aston by election. It, it's a big test for the Liberal Party. They they hold it by I think uh, you know, three three or four percent. Um, went down to the wide, might be a little bit less than that. I'm hearing they might be in trouble, Jack. I wouldn't hearing, be surprised if they were. I'd be surprised if they held on to it. Uh, and that would be um, the first time a sitting government has won a seat in a by-election federally since 1920. Yeah. So that would send trembles through the Liberal Party if they lost that one. It would leave them basically with two metropolitan seats in Melbourne uh, if we're not going to count Casey and Latrobe, which is sort of the outer suburbs, if you like, Um, and uh, not a good result at all. Would it... Would it kick off a spill? I have a feeling. I have a feeling it might. Oh, I don't think it will. No. No. Well, uh, I guess the the, the problem. First, with, firstly, I expect problem with that assumption seat. is who, who's, who's going to take over. Yeah. Uh, firstly, I think they probably will lose the seat. Really? Um, uh, yeah, and, and I and I would note that um, uh, I know it's a long time since a, a government's won a by election. Um, uh, Federally, well, one hundred and three uh, years, they, Jack. <laughs> but they don't—they don't generally happen quite so quick um, during the honeymoon period. Well, they do a bit because uh, you know there'll be you know after the uh, uh, after Min's win uh, on Saturday night, there'll be you can imagine there'll be a number of by elections in uh, in Liberal held seats. Um, going forward, there'll be a number of retirements. Uh, I, 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 
I'm, I, I'm not so confident that uh, that uh, the Libs will lose. I think they might hang on. I, I have seen um, uh, the... If they uh, hang on, it'll be by their fingernails. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be close. It's definitely mm. going to be close. But uh, the, um, the the Liberal candidate there is uh, sort of highly qualified uh, to be a Liberal candidate, um, a wife of... Uh, of a colleague of mine, albeit at the Herald Sun, um, uh, Ms. Campbell, um, she um, she's got. He's the, the bloke who looks like he's the bloke who looks like um, uh, uh, that, that Pixar character when he goes on the Insiders on Sunday morning, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Potato Head. He's good. I, I like his political analysis. To be honest, I think he. he, he plays pretty close down the line, um, uh, but I've noticed her electoral bump, Jack. Now you'd expect it to be blue, wouldn't you? You'd expect it to be the uh, the royal blue of the Liberal Party, but uh, no, it's uh, it's got a pinkish hue, isn't it? No, that's, a, that's, that's interesting, been, isn't it? Yeah, I've handed out a lot of that sort of stuff, and I can <laughs> this is not the first time um, uh, a little bit of skullduggery has gone on in that regard. Yeah, there's not too many mentions of the Liberal Party and the yeah. uh, the old bump going around uh, Aston yeah. at the moment. We'll see what happens and we'll give you a full summary of that. Hopefully we'll know a result. We probably should by the time we record next week. Just uh, by the think of it, I can remember um, uh, there was a time when uh, the Labor Party material had a lot of Australian flags and not much mention of Labor on it. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's the way it goes. But they've gone they've gone from blue to pink, Jack. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is uh, uh, it reflects it reflects something. Uh, it reflects there's not a lot of there's not a lot of confidence in the Liberal Party in Victoria. Which brings us to this, the very next point that Moira Deemy has been not expelled. She has been suspended. Bended from the party, which seems like it's a calamity for both sides, really. It probably is. I didn't think she'd be expelled. So you did say that, yeah. I, uh, the, uh, the, the 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 tip I was getting was from uh, my uh, mate and colleague at the Australian, John Ferguson, saying that uh, uh, that the Liberal leader had the numbers, um, but it would seem uh, it would seem uh, that it's it's been fought out to a nil all draw. So she's been suspended from the party room for I think nine months. Yeah, uh, and she did, and I don't want to make any light of this at all. But she did, I think, announce that she had been uh, indecently dealt with, raped, in fact, when she was four years of age, um, and uh, certainly not making light of that, and that she'd been the victim of uh, sexual abuse uh, throughout. Uh, throughout much of her childhood, um, so um, uh, that was why she 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 opened up on that, and that was why what she said what she said to the party room. It doesn't leave the Victorian Liberal leader in a very good spot for mine, um, and uh, it, it seems like they negotiated a settlement that was uh, uh, wouldn't so so no one would lose face, but in the end, everyone sort of has. It's the reporting of it certainly suggests that, as I understand it, she made a speech, uh, and he adjourned the meeting straight after the speech, having a quick look around the room to see where he thought the numbers were, um, uh, and they Oops. went out into Oops. the corridor, went out into the corridor and sorted out a deal. Um, uh, I think he overreached yeah. in the first place. Is was his problem? He probably did. I mean, look, the, the art of politics is always understanding where, what your numbers are, yeah. and uh, you've got to be out of count. You know, I, I, I think he probably did. There's no point taking action if you can't get it across the line. Hmm. 
Um, and um, a little bit like if we go back to uh, uh, Anthony Albanese in um, in uh, in opposition when he took on the CFMEU, the Victorian branch of the CFMEU, and expelled John Se- John Setker and or tried to expel John Setker and, and ultimately got it through. But it was like, mate, don't pick a fight you can't win. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> and 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 that's sort of the art of politics, and so. The Victorian Liberals are sort of as you were. We'll see how Aston goes, and that will be a further reflection on the Liberal Party, both federally and at the state level. Meanwhile, Jack, we have... What I think Pasuto got wrong was um, he, he certainly should have given, um, uh, uh, what's the name, Moira Deming, Deming uh, um, uh, a fair old bollocking for... Um, yeah, that, uh, not that was jumping, definitely needed. Not, not yeah. jumping all over the Nazis, but yeah, hanging around he, while the Nazis were yeah, saluting. But, but, yeah. he, but, but he but he ran into a problem because um, the trans rights activists, speaking of people taking on a fight they can't win, they're losing all around the world because they're taking on lesbians and feminists. And here's some free advice for you, TRAs: Don't do that because you won't win. Don't make them angry. Well, Polly Don't make Parker, the lesbians and feminists angry because they will win. Polly Parker turned up in Auckland. She had, she had about seven people there, as far as I could tell. Yeah, and uh, and there was a great clamour of people, not uh, pro-trans necessarily, but a lot of them were. And uh, that was uh, the end of the tour, shall we say? Yeah. The Wellington leg was uh, quickly cancelled, and and five, uh, that was five it. years ago. Five years ago, with the urging of the trans right activists, they were opening. Um, clinics all around the Western world um, to provide what they call gender-affirming care to teenagers, etc. Um, and yes, they're closing in Republican states in the United States, but they've also closed in Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark and England. Um, that debate's going, you wouldn't know it if you lived in Victoria, but that debate's, debate is going against the trans activists all around the world. Well, they're also banning books in uh, in the south there, uh, Jack. In the United States, uh, they're going through books. Um, they're, they're banning books, so you, you, there's no there's no um, there's no accounting for the right. Yeah, they're banning, the banning books. Right. They're burning books in New Zealand. They were burning J.K. Rowling's books yesterday. Were they? Yes, indeed. That's a bit rough. Yeah, that's a bit rough. Um, look, basically on this on this particular issue, I've. I've Sort of steered away from it is way too controversial for me. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to go into it. I'm just making a political observation that in Victoria they think that the trans activists are winning the political debate. And my observation is that they're not around the world. Well, the, 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 the protest at Auckland would tell you otherwise, but that was because Parker was was essentially. Uh, I don't think she's got much to the, the wider, much to do with the wider political yeah, situation. I, I, I would certainly argue that she's not representative no. of women's rights, you know. I mean, no, and more redeeming, just by the way, is a person who's anti-abortion. So, yeah. you know, how does that fit with women's rights? Yeah, but the, the, the people who are going to win this debate are people like J.K. Rowling and Martina Navratilova. It's not going to mean Sharon Davies, the former uh, UK Olympian. They're the people who are going to win the debate. Nothing to do with Posey Parker. Now, we'll see about all of that, Jack. Meanwhile, uh, another uh, issue that is confounding the nation, that is the voice. Um, and uh, now we have a proposal. And now you suggest that there were, I think, three options or was it four available to the Albanese government? And they've gone for what what you would say 
What's the hardest, the crash through or crash? The high risk approach, yeah. And that is basically, well, we would love to see the Solicitor General's advice, wouldn't we, in terms of uh, where um, uh, the advice to the executive might become uh, subject to legal challenge. Yes. That particular constitutional grey area. Yeah, I... And, and and I saw Brett Walker was on the radio this morning in uh, in Australia talking about this and saying he doesn't think much of a problem. And well, he's Brett Walker, lawyer. yeah, he's been very very clear yeah, about he, it up front. He goes to the High Court more than anybody, I think. Um, but he does. Um, yeah, he's got the most number of games under the belt. Yep. Yeah, um, but um, I don't think I don't think he's right on this occasion, uh, and, and and for this reason, I think we've got to look beyond. Um, uh, today, to what the High Court will will do with this um, this referendum if it gets up uh, in five or six or seven or eight years' time, um, uh, this is the this is the biggest change to Australia's constitution ever. Because the voice is not just putting in a, um, a, a an extra section about the ages judge, judges can finish or um, how often we have to go to an election. The voice gets its own chapter in Parliament and that means that the High Court, I think, in five or six years' time, will treat the voice as sort of the equivalent of the other bodies that get their own chapter in Parliament, that is the Parliament and the Executive. So the three of those will be treated much pretty much like equals. And that's well, that's highly contended at the moment, yeah, as, it is. as you say. And, and, and that's because the government says that the court will look at all the guff around the voice, um, the, the, the documents that go out with it, and, 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 the, and the, the court will do that with legislation. They will look at the, um, the second reading speech, all that sort of stuff. What did the parliament actually mean when they did this? But with the voice... It's not the parliament doing this, it's the people. And the court won't be able to say, this is what the people meant. The court will look at the actual document. And this will give us a new constitution, in my view. That's my reading of it. This will give us a whole new document. And they will look at it and treat it like that. All right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm prepared to look more at the politics of it and the punditry of it. Uh, what do you, what do you, uh, how do you regard the chance of this getting up? I mean, we don't know oh, the coalition. I, I, I coalition up, yeah. Seriously, can you make it? Can you make your minds up, please? I mean, we want more information, so they get more information, and then they go, "Well, we want more information," so they get more information. They, I mean. They're, they're just sort of paralysed by fear, aren't they? Um, it, it, well, not the coalition, the Liberal Party, the Federal Liberal Party. They're absolutely paralysed with fear at the moment as to, you know, they, they get something wrong. I, 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 I'll make a bit of punditry here. If Elbow gets this up, if the referendum gets a big tick, I mean, I, 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 I reckon he'll, he'll, he'll rule for at least two or three terms. As long yeah, as he that, wants, that, basically. That, that's possible, Bill, but I don't think they'll get it up, to be honest. And, and I don't think the Liberal Party, Liberal Party position is relevant in that. Um, I just don't think the people will accept. Well, they've got to make this. up their minds, don't they, yeah, Jack? They've got to, they've got to, they've got to make, you know, have a position, position, a position outside of. Can we have more information, please? I don't think they have to make up their minds. They can have an open vote on this and it would still make no difference to the outcome. The outcome's not going to be decided on party, party political lines. 
I think this will probably lose now because I think the government's taken the high-risk approach. I think it'll, I would like to see constitutional recognition and you could get constitutional recognition up pretty easily in a referendum if you, if you restricted it to that. But they've, I think they've overreached. Um, and I think that the, I suspect that uh, um, they won't get a majority of people in the majority of states to agree with this fundamental uh, change to the constitution. Just make a note here, Jack. 28 to the third, you predicted the referendum would not succeed. So we'll get back to you. If, sorry, I might add. My, oh, oh my, hang my, on. We've got, my, we've got my, a caveat, caveat have we? But my caveat is if it goes ahead in its current, if it goes ahead in its current state, it still has to go to the Parliament, of course. Yes. Um, and it may be and subject that's to where it should have gone a long time ago. This should have been – the actual proposal should have been debated in Parliament rather than – It a long time ago. Up. The government was only elected – government was only elected uh, nine months ago. Well, well getting yeah, off at 12 but, now. But what, what, they shouldn't have gone to Parliament with what they say is a set-in-stone um, proposal. They should have gone – but. We want to do this. Let's have a committee to look at it. Let's everyone have their say and see what we come up with. Yeah, and a, and a year is a reasonable amount of time to do that. I would have thought. Uh, no, it's going to go up in June. They're going to vote on it in. Uh, they're going to go, no, go no, no. I'm, talk, I'm talking about since they formed government. Yeah. <clears throat> to bring it to the parliament within a year, I think, is a reasonable time frame. And but they but they want this legislation through by June, I think, with a vote in October. That's not enough time in the parliament for a proper debate about what the actual content of the proposal is. Well, currently, mate, the coalition just votes no on everything. <clears throat> so yeah. it's the only thing that they that they're, that they're basically <laughs> throwing the books open to a possible yes or maybe. Um, they've just voted no on everything so far uh, and almost excluded themselves from the political conversation, um, yeah. particularly when we get to uh, when we get to net zeros and uh, and and uh, and carbon emissions reductions. But that's yeah. another matter. We'll get on to that yeah. in a little while. We've got uh, a I bit d- of an I issue. Just, Jack. I just think I just think that this new proposal, the proposal as it is, takes us a long way down the road to the. New Zealand model of co-governance, and I don't think the Australian people will buy that. We'll see. We'll see. 28 to the 3rd, 1.21pm. Mm. Uh, your opinion has been noted. Asylum seeker I'm backlog. I'm happy to be wrong. We have... Uh, <laughs> all right. Yes, uh, look, it's it's no good in a punditry game if you're prepared. <laughs> I've always told you, no matter whether you're right or wrong, you've got to be certain. you got to be certain. Yeah, well, I'm certain. fairly certain, but... Yeah. Uh, Look, the asylum seeker backlog, we do have a real problem here um, and uh, there's a a piece in the John Manager blog written by reporter Abu Rizvi. He's a a former former senior um, uh, immigration department official. Right. Uh, And uh, And one of the the best. We've got an asylum seeker backlog at 100,000, getting near 100,000 now. Uh, and uh, this is not about boat arrivals, Jack. This is uh, um, a, bulk, a bulk of those 100,000 cases. Are those arrived before the pandemic, a period of sort of labour trafficking of Malaysian and Chinese nationals. Yep. Uh, around uh, the middle of, uh, of uh, the previous decade. Uh, until the start of the pandemic. Now, this is basically on Peter Dutton's watch. So the Libs aren't doing anything about it. Labor um, uh, not all that keen to do much about it either. So it looks like we've just got this hideous situation. 
Uh, as Rizvi went on to report, it's an excellent report. I'll actually put this up on the, uh, the Facebook page. Uh, it, it, it's, it's okay at the moment because we've got basically full employment. But when those circumstances change, or when and if, uh, those people who are, you know, essentially not allowed to work, are they? You know, if they're, no. uh, they've been rejected as asylum, uh, seekers, uh, they can't work and they'll, they'll be sort of forced into a sort of form of, uh, wage slavery. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fixable. They can be given bridging visas, et cetera, to allow them to work. Um, the, the real problem is how do you deal with the backlog? I notice that they've been doing, excuse me, I notice that, that the immigration department's been very, very good at turning over, um, a work visas. Um, um, what do you call them? Four, five, ones, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that sort of visa. Um, uh, I mean, they've been turning them over in a couple of weeks. So they've obviously, uh, thrown, a, throw some, thrown some resources into immigration and perhaps they n- need to throw a few more in. Now, this, this needs a, um, a, an entirely fresh approach to deal with a backlog of, of this kind. Okay. Almost none of these 100,000 cases will succeed. Not almost none. Very few of them will succeed. Um, uh, but they just need to be dealt with fairly transparently and expeditiously. Right. Now, the big story around the world, Jack, we are leaving these shores and we're moving uh, to the Middle East now, Israel. Um, really some un- <coughs> just basically uh, uh, scenes that we've never really seen in Israel before, in terms of in terms of protest, and, um, uh, nationwide strikes, etc., that have it looks just, more like France, doesn't it? We'll get to them because um, they love a stink. They love a stink, um, uh, and you can only just make little minor tink- <laughs> tinker into legislation, and they'll hit the streets. Yeah. But Israel, yeah. this is un- unforeseen in in Israel's history. Well, I wouldn't say it's unforeseen. Oh um, yeah, uh, the big numbers on the streets, mate, yeah, and nationwide big, strikes. That's never happened before. So that's yeah, unprecedented. Uh, but they are an amazingly disputatious um, um, uh, group of people. Um, there's a lovely old story that a, a, a Jewish friend tells of the Jewish bloke who's set down on a remote island and um, does well in business and he builds two synagogues. And uh, uh, he's interviewed you know, afterward, why did you build two synagogues? He said, well, I built one, that's the one I go to, and the other one I built because that's the one I wouldn't set foot in no matter how much money you paid me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, they like, they like disagreement. Not Netanyahu has stepped back overnight, uh, and an uneasy calm, according to the BBC uh, reports this morning, an uneasy calm has fallen over Israel uh, because he's announced he would delay a key part of the controversial plans to overhaul the justice system. What are those uh, plans, Jack? Do you want me to just briefly go through them? Yeah, you can. Yeah, look, uh, the government... Um, Israel's, which is Israel's most right wing ever, is seeking to take decisive control over the committee which appoints judges. The, the reforms would give the parliament authority to override the Supreme Court's decisions with a basic majority and would make it difficult to declare a prime minister unfit for office. Oh, hello, Benjamin. And remove them from power. Um, it could be so- a bit of self-interest in that. Uh, one of the things that's causing big controversy in Israel is... Uh, at the moment, effectively, the judges appoint their own successors. 
which I think Israel's the only place in the world where this happens. Um, uh, and what the, 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 the current government wants to do is to return the power to appoint judges back to the government and the parliament. And it's not just appointing judges, it, though. It's, it's more like they can override Supreme Court yeah. judges. So, so it would be like well, the Well, the, the, the sticking point seems to be the appointment at the moment in, in terms of the process. Yeah, that's but, true. But, but it would also say it would be like our High Court coming down with a judgment and, and, uh, and uh, the, well, the Australian government, whoever's in power, would say, well, no, we're not doing that. Um, and we're going to override it. So that's where that's why people are on the streets. There's been nationwide strikes, main airports, shops, and banks closed. Even hospitals, services were stopped, uh, and uh, it would seem that uh, they were at the brink. And then uh, Mr. Netanyahu well, more, has blinked. More, more importantly, um, uh, uh, retired and serving. People in the military, etc., and the security services um, are, are opposed to the changes. And Ooh, yeah, that's, that's something that's that's not good. You know, he's going to have to deal with. That's not good for Benjamin. No, not good at all. Uh, yeah, yes, it, that's unfolding, and uh, just, we'll, just, we'll keep just people interest, up, appraised of that. I watched Netanyahu do an interview with Piers Morgan, um, and. Um, Piers has gone off, and most of his stuff appears on YouTube, not, not anywhere else that anyone's going to see it, but a lot of people are watching it on YouTube. And the measure of that is, in the last week, um, Ron DeSantis has sat down for an interview with him, and this week, yeah. Benjamin Netanyahu did. So Big maybe names. the future's in um, doing interviews on YouTube, not on the television. Well, that takes us to the United States, and I did notice during that interview, Jack, that uh, Ron DeSantis, who had sort of... Uh, he'd sort of taken a step down the sort of Trumpian path of um, uh, that, that have been reflected in the sort of hard right of the Republican Party now, not to support, to continue to support Ukraine. And uh, and uh, that that featured the arrival of a Wall Street Journal editorial saying, uh, no, 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 champion, and uh, this is not sensible for you. And I did notice during that interview with Piers that he said, yes, that Mr Putin should Faced uh, face a court over uh, war crimes, uh, so he, he, he walked. Of, he walked it back a fair way, didn't he? Really, he did read the editorial. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> he had read the editorial. So yes, his uh, his main opponent, Jack, has has predicted. We we talked about this last week. He was the only one who said he was going to get arrested. He's going. I'm going to get arrested on Tuesday. None of it happened. And uh, and 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 he was the only one saying it. I'll be arrested on Tuesday, and and then the, the media went nuts trying to talk about uh, what steps would need to be taken, what negotiations had taken place between the Secret Service and the NYPD, and all this sort of stuff. But it was only Trump who'd been saying it. So mm. the week has gone by, and he remains unarrested. Mm. Um, but uh, that didn't stop him at Waco, Texas, Jack, a very symbolic place of a lot of bloody conflict, uh, where he predicted death and destruction. Not sure who, but death yeah. and destruction if he was arrested. Interesting thing about the Waco, Texas rally, and, and, and Trump is excellent at these rallies. He is, after all, a carnival huckster. 
really at, at heart. You know? I, I, I watched a, I watched part of the speech because he couldn't, couldn't sit through it all. He goes for a couple of hours, but uh, I watched part of the speech and and I really see a big change in him. I know we talk about Biden uh, losing mental capacity and what have you. I see that a little bit in Trump at the moment too. Yeah, the most interesting part of the Waco thing was the crowd love him and the crowd cheer along with him, except. When he started the sledge, Ron DeSantis and the crowd went silent and stayed silent until I he stopped. I did not know that. Did they really? Yes, they did. Was that because we don't know who he is, or we quite like oh, him? Oh no, no. Mm, okay. Well, no. of course. And and, and and I saw some polls this morning which would oh, back yeah. this up. Um, this these are from one of the Republican pollsters. DeSantis leads Trump. 45-37 in a head-to-head in Iowa, Ooh. and 39-39 in New Hampshire, and they're the first two states who vote in the primaries. Yeah, that's primaries, yeah. Um, uh, and, um, uh, and and DeSantis wins all of the, uh, of the down-the-ballot down the um, uh, type of things, best temperament. Midwest, uh, what are we talking about? I mean, look, I know it's early days for the primary. The Iowa is not a primary, by the way. It is a caucus uh, yeah. to... Uh, be technical there, but um, uh, where, where on that polling does DeSantis stand in states like Michigan, Wisconsin? Uh, they, have, they haven't polled. They haven't polled. Them. They polled the first two, but that's um, but that's heartland stuff. That's where elections are won and lost yeah, in the United yeah. States. If, <laughs> if the outsider can win those first two seats, uh, first two uh, votes, um, they're well placed. And of course, there were some fake pics, Jack. A bit of Photoshop work going on with uh, the Donald being arrested, and I think they were done. My my understanding of the source of this stuff was it's kind of this sort of mockery from the left, but then they were published on Breitbart. I mean, acknowledging that they were fake, and then they sort of got scooped up and and went all around social media, and um, on the back of that. Uh, the uh, Trump campaign raised about two million dollars. <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of wondered at the provenance of those. Um, uh, they were. Uh, they did look. You know, it, Trump was looking very worried and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Look, can I mention this, Jack? Uh, there's um, if you're arrested in in, in, in New York, uh, you're fingerprinted. There's much have been made of that. That he, whether he be handcuffed or fingerprinted, but he'll also be cheek swabbed, Jack. Hmm. And you know that there's a civil case involving allegations of rape, buddy. So, um, yeah, you wouldn't mind getting hands on the DNA in that court case, would you? One way yeah, or the other. See where that plays out. But that is uh, part of the process in New York, a bit of a cheek swab. Um, uh, anyone arrested there? And we mentioned the French before. They love a stink, Jack. They hit the streets at the drop of a hat. They do. Um, and I did post a, a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful photograph on my Twitter account with some diners dining al fresco, uh, while, while some sort of, also some sort of arson was going on in the background. A bit of a pile of uh, debris was had been set fire to. It just reminded just that just the French get out in the streets whenever they feel angry about something, and they're angry about this. You know what it's about, Jack? Yeah, it's raising the retirement age by a couple of years. And it would still be low, from 62 still, to 64. It would, it would still be lower than the UK, Germany, Italy, et cetera, et cetera. And the French pension is, you know, God. Yeah. Maybe I understand why my very good friend Paul Ham lives in Paris now. 
you might be hankering for a French pension. So um, um, uh, people, people Macron were, knew he couldn't get it through, knew he couldn't get it through the parliament, so he made an executive, essentially an executive decree, and that was enough. To uh, get the petrol bombs, get the petrol bombs filled, the Molotov cocktails filled up, and hit the streets. Off we go. Yeah, people, people on 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 social media were amazed that the French would be um, so relaxed about this happening in their midst. But I've got to tell you, living through the protests here in Hong Kong, most Hong Kongers were just as relaxed um, uh, because we knew that a lot of this stuff is just theatre. It takes place on, you know, in set places and at set times. Um, and if the, if the cameras who covered the, the, the protests in Hong Kong had bothered to swing and look the other way, they would have seen people going about their day-to-day business. Well, that's what, that's what the French did rather delightfully uh, on the weekend. They're just continuing to... Uh, <coughs> Uh, sip on their uh, chocolat and um, and, uh, and have a little chat to people next to them while they were this raging inferno not far away. Very, very funny, very, very funny photograph. Picked up a lot on Twitter. You'll see it on my Twitter feed if you haven't seen it already. What's going on with the banks, Jack? They seem uh, that, that, that crisis it seems to have uh, come and gone. Yeah, well, there was big uh, talk about Deutsche Bank um, uh, over the weekend, but I've been speaking to a, a few friends from the business, and and they say, well, look, it's not Credit Suisse. Um, it's you know, it, it probably deserves to be off off price wise a bit. Um, it's off a lot more than that, but yeah. a lot of that happens because of what they call the quants. These are the um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the clever with numbers young chaps who see a trend and try and get ahead of the trend all the time. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, all right. Um, uh, but uh, banking around the world is safe. I've got, I've got to tell you, just as an aside, some of our friends from the cooker movement thought this was uh, going to be the, uh, the the end of capitalism as we know it and oh, yeah. uh, we're extolling their people to take their cash out and, and actually do it as a sort of um, a form of political activism that they could, by sheer weight of numbers, by draining their They could bring down a bank. They could bring down a Yeah, well... Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. Yeah. They were advocating as various cooker groups are doing that over over the last week or so. You know, it's get in there, take your money sh- out. And I was like, what, what are you there's, doing? There's never been a shortage of deluded people. No, well, there never is. There's actually, I think we've got a few more um, per capita than we used to. Uh, you've been talking a lot about uh, energy, Jack, particularly in the developing world, and we have been looking long and hard at uh, South Africa's very substantial energy problems, failure to plan, failure to build infrastructure, brownouts all over the place. What's the update there, Jack? Well, it's it's spread from South Africa. It's happening in Zimbabwe and Nigeria, which are two of the uh, more important African countries. Well, Nigeria uh, is, I think, one of the great oil producers in the world, isn't it? There's about it is. three, or no, three or four in the world. Yes, but, but the problem is not the oil. The problem is electricity, but the, they just can't uh, produce it regularly enough to keep the power on. Well, it, it, it is, as, as you were saying. The, the, these are major exposés of corruption, aren't they? Yes. I mean, Zimbabwe, good Lord. Corruption um, and bad ideas. Yeah, and Nigeria has um, uh, Nigeria's just had an election where they re-elected uh, the, uh, the sitting president, so uh, no change there. 
Um, uh, when we move, uh, you know, but, well, what's South Africa going to do? It's, I mean, it's, it's virtually, well, we're not, I don't know whether collapse is the right, social collapse is the right, is the right term, but it's getting very close to a serious calamity. It is. Um, uh, a great place to live, a great place to visit, I'm told at the moment, because, um, the cost of living is cheap, cheap, cheap if you're not a South African. I bet. But, um, if you are going to sit around the pool, um, <laughs> the filtration system won't be working. Might not be working. Between the hours of, uh, of eight you, in the morning and five at you, night. If you wander around the Cape District, um, enjoying their wonderful wines and food, you'll be paying a derisory amount of money for it. Mm, that's a um, shame. But that's, that's the problem. South Africa's become a one party state and that's always a problem. Well, still with energy, Jack, in Europe, uh, the EU, uh, is uh, sort of deadlocked on whether to recognise nuclear power as an equal to renewable energy. What's the definition there? Surely, is, is it a carbon? Is it is it emissions? Or how, well, how are they defining this? I think it's an EU definition, so it's probably fairly floating. Um, uh, the importance of the, the importance of the uh, designation as a renewable is that that gives you access to a lot of funds from Brussels to um, uh, to to build your any energy plants out. Okay, and in Australia, so, 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 so the Germans are saying no. We don't think nuclear should be part of that because they've closed their nuclear power stations down. And the French, who, French who have lots of them, say absolutely. This uh, you know, uh, this must be um, uh, part of the renewables. Seventy percent uh, of their mix in in France is nuclear, and they mm. are reducing that mm. to fifty. Mm. Um, we, they, and they did find out, and we covered this. They did find out in a very dry, hot summer with uh, rivers uh, declining and not flowing as as, uh, as they normally do and also water temperatures rising uh, the, the water required to cool um, couldn't uh, couldn't be brought online or, or it had to either limit production or stop production altogether yeah. in a so, so, so they want to change their mix from you know um, adjust their mix and that's perfectly reasonable I think uh, meanwhile, look, it, 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 God, you never know with the Greens, Jack. And we're not, now we're back in Australia again on energy. You never know with the Greens. It seems like a deal has been struck uh, <coughs> over um, uh, what, 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 what's, what, what's the term? What, what's the term they're using? The buzzword that they're using at the moment? Net zero. Uh, no, not no, not not net, net zero. It's been around for a long time. This is the. Um, uh, basically, the heavy polluters will be uh, will be uh, will will be limited. They'll have limits placed on their emissions, uh, and um, uh, and they will have to carbon trade where they exceed those emissions. And there'll be um, limits put on the carbon trading as well, as I understand the Greens' position. Oh, and so there should be, because there, there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of rorting going on there, particularly look, around rural land. It does look a lot like a scam, doesn't it? Uh, well, some of it is, some of it isn't. But the stuff, look, you could just buy 13 hectares, Jack. We could throw a bit of money in the pot with some of our listeners, buy 13 hectares and just let the thing grow, just just mm. never go anywhere near it mm. and, uh, and apply for and receive carbon credits. Mm. Um, so yeah, they got to have a real good look at that. But will the Greens hold true, Jack? Whew. I don't know. Mm. Oh, I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, I just don't think I don't I don't think if you look at the world as a whole, the argument for stopping uh, new coal and gas in Australia makes any sense at all. Oh well, that's certainly the view of. Um, uh, well, I, I saw the, uh, the 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 woman who runs the, the lobby group that uh, in charge of gas that we should actually be doing more and more exploration. Mm. It, it doesn't stop um, the the labour policy, the government's policy doesn't stop exploration. It it but it mandates that new exploration, new coal, actually be zero emitting. Not quite yeah. sure how that works with coal. No, I'm not sure how it works but, either. But we're not talking about um, um, dig it out of the ground, load it on a jumbo and, and and chuck it in a burner somewhere. We're talking about the mines themselves being net zero. Yeah. yeah. And that well, uh, uh, seems think- to have acquiesced the Greens to some degree. If you create um, uh, uh, economic uncertainty around the business, people aren't, aren't going to pay... Um, for people like our, our pal Grant to go out and sit in the desert and drill holes. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that it will diminish, you know, that, that, that the exploration side of things. Um, uh, it does limit well, people only spend that money if they're going to get a return. But this, this was the bugbear for the Greens, and it is, I've got to tell you, this is Adam Bant, as I said in a column a few weeks ago, folding folding like Superman on laundry day. And he seems to do quite a lot of that, Jack. Yeah. Well, I think they're, they're, they're living in a uh, – they are, they are part of the deluded in Australia, I think, the Greens on this. All right. Well, uh, we'll see if they're able to get – they still haven't got the numbers to uh, – that's the government – still don't, don't have the numbers to get it through the Senate. If they have green support, they're very close. They'll need, I think, one or two more. Lydia Thorpe um, uh, might be one of those. Uh, and uh, our former Wallaby uh, senator seems to be the, the government's go-to man <coughs> for negotiating the passage of bills through the Senate. Yeah, he seems to be able to corral the other uh, uh, crossbenchers a little bit. I have to say, he's a very impressive performance when we consider when we look at some of the other examples of independent senators and there are mm. a pretty desultory history. We can all, all talk about some Ralph Babbitt, you know, from uh, from Palmer's uh, from Palmer's party, um, uh, who, who barely is listened to and uh, and you know routinely ignored, and and uh, and uh, our, our former Wallaby playing uh, pal has has done really well, just but just just in terms of applying himself to the task. Yeah, he's the, he's the most organised. To uh, it seems to me since Brian Harrodin. Uh, yeah, this is, this is another good one from the past there, Jack. Yeah, he certainly does. Um, now we're going to have a long... Nick Xenophon wasn't too bad. But... Oh, Nick was good. Nick was good. Yeah. Um, I, I, my favourite Nick story, I got to know Nick Xenophon quite well, and, and uh, my favourite Nick story was that we're going to have a, going to have a, a Senate inquiry into Scientology. And, uh, I'm not a fan of Scientology. It's a terrible cult. And uh, and and uh, uh, destroys a lot of lives. So I was particularly pleased to to, to see that Nick said he was uh, he he had support of the Liberals and 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 Labor to get it through. 
and he walked into the Senate the following day and then they both disappeared. They're just gone. Yeah. A, the major parties won't go anywhere near sort of religious freedom stuff, yeah. even if it's Scientology. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, he walked in there. Oh, hang on, where is everybody? Yeah. <laughs> and then had left him. Uh, left him in the lurch there. Now, we're going to have a bit of an extended chat here now, Jack, about lockdowns and social consequences. It's your best. Uh, the uh, the um, uh, United Kingdom, uh, they've got a lot of... Uh, uh, they've got a lot of truancy, Jack. You must have skipped school a bit when you were a kid, didn't you? I didn't have much choice. I was at boarding school for a bit. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> although, I, although I did get, just I, skip off and uh, run down the most uh, through the oh, no, it's possible. It's, it's possible. Um, uh, uh, three of us ended up in Bendigo for a weekend, um, uh, having gone out uh, gone out on a two hour leave. Um, I didn't get back for a day or so, and I, I think I got suspended for that. Ah, well, there you go. So, is this is this sort of thing occurring now in the UK? Yeah, uh, it's, it's what I, it, it backs up an anecdotal story I was I heard um, at the end of the, the lockdowns was that they weren't getting back uh, a kind of a generation of the of the troubled kids who they were struggling to keep in school. And none of them came back. Yeah, uh, hearing anecdotal reports about similar sort of circumstances, in and, and the figures too. from the UK would back that up that they are that, that their um, level of absenteeism of, of kids from school is always an element. What they call severely absent, which presumably yeah. is just not attending at all, and there yeah. are sixty thousand of them in the UK yeah. defined as severely absent. Uh, that's that's a rate a rise of one hundred and thirty four percent. Double, double the money and a little bit more. And yes. A little bit more. Yep. Absence is now a feature of school life. Just under two million pupils, two million pupils. This is the UK. One in four of all school children are classified as persistently absent, i.e., have an attendance rate of less than ninety percent. Uh, so this is a consequence of lockdowns, Jack. I think it probably is. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, we're going to have a, a detailed chat about this. Um, uh, there was a piece in The Australian written by Adam Crichton uh, where he basically claimed that Sweden had more or less won the pandemic, um, if I could be so um, uh, <coughs> so offensive. Uh, it really wasn't arguing that. The, 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 the point he was making was Sweden did not have lockdowns. Now, they did have social distancing measures mm. and mask wearing and those sorts of things. But the point he was making was that um, by the current measure that we're using, uh, that is excess mortality, that Sweden's excess mortality was lower than the rest of the world. Now, I'll move on to why that's a bit contentious in a, in a little while. Um and he, he cited an OECD report. Did you take a look at that, Jack, today? I did. I, I'd seen it before, actually. Okay. It, in fact, actually had been around since November. But this seems to have just kindled up a bit of the anti-lockdown stuff um, uh, just recently. So it's been around for The a most while. notable thing about the OECD report, if you compare Sweden and Australia, is Australia had a lot more um, – uh, sorry, Sweden had a lot more – COVID deaths in Australia, yeah, huge but the, yeah, but their excess, but their excess deaths numbers are about the same. Well, they're about the same, and yeah. So, so the OECD report, um, the OECD report dealt only with excess deaths in the twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one period, hmm. uh, and um, 
and uh, and and I think uh, Sweden's were at four percent, and Australia's at three. Um, uh, was at three in that period, yeah. and that's compared to. 2015 to 2019. So that's yeah. the baseline, yeah. and then and then you have this 2020 to 2021, and then Adam went on to um, and a number of other op eds have, have done this too. Looked at this sort of our world in data to look at excess deaths since the first thing that caught well, not not the first thing, but just to give an idea for our listeners. Uh, what we talk uh, cumulative COVID deaths as as of March 21, 2023, Sweden has 23,813, Australia 19,447. Expressed as death rate per million, Sweden is 2,257, uh, Australia 743 per million. So in that COVID death measure, uh, Australia's done a good deal better. Lots of reasons for that too that don't actually relate to lockdowns or those sorts of policy things. And I'll get I'll get to that in a minute. I've really had a good hard look at a lot of this stuff. Um, um, the excess death rate now in in Australia, just in the last measurable period, which is November to January, the end of January twenty twenty three, ABS statistics, Australia has an excess death rate of fifteen point one percent. And I'll break those down a little while. Depending on which epidemiologist you listen to, Sweden has an excess death rate running around between 4 and 5%. Now, some people claim that's the lowest, but it's not. Um, there's the, the, Danish figure, the Danish figure is 25 um, and again, it depends what you measure. If you're measuring 2017 to 2019, yeah. you'll get a different figure on Sweden. Yeah. Uh, but if you measure 2015 to 2019, you'll get Sweden coming in third. That's pretty good. Right? That's, yeah. that's that's still very good, uh, and a long way from a long way short of Australia's figures. Um, but nor uh, but Denmark is the is the winner with 2.5 uh, uh, excess mortality in that 2015 to 2019 period. Denmark, of course, had lockdowns. Um, uh, and um, and so I also, what also caught my eye is um, uh, the OECD did a, in their study across all of the 38 OECD nations, and there was a share of population suffering from depression or showing symptoms of depression uh, Pre-COVID, Sweden stood at 11%, and in 2021, it was 30%. That's a very high figure. Uh, Australia's was 10% pre-COVID and 28% high again, but just a little bit lower than Sweden. So you That's would it. imagine, without lockdowns, Jack, it would be dancing in the streets. But, no, of course, but, there are other factors, aren't there? There's yeah, the whole anxiety. There's the and, economics. Go on, yeah. sorry. And, and and that figure that figure includes people who felt sad. It, it, it's difficult to measure. We're not talking about clinical diagnosis. You know, when, but no, no. So, so so it included people who had, who had some sadness. Well, that, this it's, is my this is my point about this comparison and this sort of nation by nation comparison, right? That <clears throat> that it, it, it's it's very sort of subjective anyway. And um, we can use lies and damn statistics all we like, mm. 
Um, but also there are external factors or there are factors other than the pandemic. But the, the thing that really strikes me about a lot of this argument is that some of us expected a pandemic to have no human cost, you know, that, that, that if you did one thing or another, that everything would be beautiful and, uh, and, and nothing bad would ever happen. And I just think that's absolute, absolute uh, nonsense. Economically, Jack, if we're going to compare Sweden to Australia, Sweden's uh, recession was deeper and lo- longer than ours, went for three quarters. Um, they had good economic growth in 2022, 5%. Um, and GDP per capita, Australia, just a little bit better there too. So if we're going to measure these things, we've got to look at, we've got to look at the economics of it as well. Um, the, um, uh, the other thing that we, that we need to talk about whenever we do this like for like sort of thing, you know, it's not just apples and oranges in that particular piece that Adam Crichton made. It's, Adam, it's comparing apples to narwhals, you know, they're, they're just completely different things. Who's got, a, who's got an older population, Sweden or Australia? Give me a guess. Uh, I, I think Sweden has, actually. Yeah, Sweden's got 20% of people age 65 or more. Yeah. Australia sixteen percent, Denmark sixteen percent. So yeah. Sweden's got a very, very you know, an older population, and that may well have impacted. I'm not an epidemiologist, so I'm not going to say, but it may well have impacted on their higher rate of COVID deaths, yeah. um, and and may well have um, uh, there may be other impacts going down the line. Um, and of course, who has a better health system? By, by any measure or any reputable measure, Sweden's is a little bit better than ours. Denmark. Uh, is- yeah, slightly. Yeah, but not much different. Well, the, the, the way it ranks, and I looked at the, I looked at the rankings from the, the reputable agencies. Norway, uh, sorry, Denmark won. Sometimes South Korea won, but we'll put South Korea in second place uh, on average. Sweden around four and Australia around 10. So those things have an impact as well. Um, and you can tell I've got a column coming, don't you, about all of this. You've been having quite a belty. I hope you don't put too many stats in it. No one's going to read it. Uh, yeah, well, this is, to, you know, you need data. So, so we've got in our Senate right now uh, a member for the, remember, a senator from the LNP talking about excess deaths being, being vaccine related or why didn't these vaccines <laughs> protect us from having excess deaths. And we do have this excess death rate at 15.1%. That's ABS official figures. Now, I can tell you that the, the, the fastest growing cause of death in Australia is diabetes. On those yeah. figures, 90%. 90%. Yeah. Now, is the vaccine supposed to stop us from sitting on the couch and eating Tim Tams? Maybe. Maybe that was a lockdown thing. I don't know. Yeah. But it's certainly um, maybe it's it was closing maybe it was closing all the parks and beaches. <laughs> well, like, like I say, I mean, I, I, and I've spoken about this on conditional release program. I am I was no fan of lockdowns. I, I, I would understand in twenty twenty pre vaccines how that might have been a significant policy response. But there was stuff in there that was absolute garbage, locking down swings and slides and all that, you know, and, and curfews in Victoria. We've talked about this just nuts. It was just like the Andrews government saying. What's the best way to control a population? To the police. And the police said, well, curfews. I said, okay, well, let's have one of them. 
Yeah. Um, so not a, not a fan of lockdowns, but a, but a, a, yeah. I'd rather people sort of look at these things in 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 the right way. When we look at you know when we look at um, Sweden's low figures, it depends on who you listen to and and which epidemiologist you listen to. Uh, uh, because there is one Swedish, um, one Swedish uh, epidemiologist. Her name is Karen Modig. She's an epidemiologist at Sweden's Karolinska Institute. She said, as soon as you compare between countries, it's more difficult because countries have different trends of mortality. They have different age structures, and in the pandemic, they might have had different seasonal variations. She described the 2017 to 2019 analysis, which gave Sweden the gold medal, uh, as quite crude. She went on to say, mortality doesn't tell the whole story about what effect the pandemic has had on different countries. The excess mortality measure has its weaknesses and depends a lot on the demographic structures of countries. But anyway... She says, when it comes to that measure, it looks like Sweden managed to do quite well. I would say we also did pretty well, but we made a lot of mistakes and we need to examine those in in uh, the full and open uh, um, uh, forum of a judicial inquiry. So we know what we got right and we know what we got wrong because <laughs> one thing you can put your hat on, Jack, put the house on, is that we will have another pandemic one day. Yeah, uh, I, I tried to read Adam Crichton's column and got about halfway through and lost interest. But oh, come um, on, mate! Uh, yeah, but, I know. Look, he, he was really saying I was for Sweden in twenty twenty. Yeah, I know. And it turns out I was right all along. You know, which is which is precisely why I lost interest. I don't think that's good. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, what I would say about uh, lockdowns and some of the, some of this I said at the time was that I thought we were too fixated on one problem, COVID, instead of looking at the the wider view of society and saying, well, look, we are going to, you know, we are going to suffer deaths from, yeah. from, from COVID. The Bad idea things that are going to happen. It's yeah, a pandemic. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. The idea that you could turn back the tide, it, it just was nonsense. What we should have been looking at was looking at was not just the damage that COVID could cause, but the damage to other things and, and that the lockdown could cause as well. Things like people not coming back to school, um, things and, and, and things like kids not having a normal childhood where you could play on the swings and slides, swings and swings and slides, um, you know, and the and the the, the curfew. Was well, that was just tick- dumb. I mean, that was dumb at the time. It was dumb yeah. then. That, yeah. that that's yeah. what I mean. It, it's and not. I know there's like, a lot of revisionism and stuff. You know, developed in hindsight, but that was dumb then. That, closing that, that off, the yeah, yeah. And, and, and we shouldn't get too carried away with revision in hindsight because people were making these decisions very quickly. Something that we talked about on here quite a yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, one thing I would say that um, what's her name, Parnell Palm McGuinness, Patty McGuinness's daughter, put in the paper the other week that she thought the legal system and the lawyers had failed. Um, and as a lawyer myself, I absolutely agree with that. We used to be the people, the, the, the progressive lawyers used to be the people who prided themselves on, we were, we are the people who will stand between the citizen and the state um, uh, when the state is acting excess to its authority, and we utterly failed. We did, we did not give a yelp. We did not protect the citizen from the state at all. Well, there were a number of people. There were, there were a number of uh, law firms. Some of them a little bit dubious. I got to tell you, Jack, that that did undertake uh, actions against vaccine mandates, uh, against um, 
uh, various uh, various impositions on uh, freedoms of movement and so forth, and they got belted in the courts. Yeah, where, where were the Council for Civil Liberties? Where were the courts? Where was the Australian Human Rights Commission? They all went missing. Can I just run up, because this one is just one of your fixations, not mine, Jack. Well, it is probably a little bit of mine now too. But we went through the death rates and the excess death rates and causes of death, and we mentioned diabetes at 19%, 90% high death to diabetes. Uh, another hike in dementia, including Alzheimer's, at 11.7%. Respiratory disease, uh, a, 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 a jump of just 6%, 57 <clears throat> And cancers, Jack. Down. Mm. Now, that, I, I would I would strongly suggest that we need to have a bit longer time to look at the data before yeah, we draw any conclusions I would suggest with that on too, that well. because uh, you know there is a lead time with all there this. is there is a fair amount of lead time with all of that. It's just very interesting. Stroke, by the way, is down. Uh, stroke was down by nine percent. Um, very interesting. Cardiovascular disease uh, <clears throat> um, relatively stable. So yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, some of the idiots who think this is a cause of the vaccine, you know, need to have a proper look at the stats if they're if they're able to do so. And certainly, our parliamentarians should be uh, a little bit more a, a little bit more uh, gentle about what they do about this sort of stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. So there you go. It, it, I, I think the lesson. I look forward from, to the column. The, the, yeah, the lesson from all of this is don't do apples versus narwhals. And, um, and, 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 uh, if you're that thin skinned about uh, getting things, get what you thought was right two years ago, now you're fine by some, uh, by some, um, uh, cherry picking of data that you want to prove yourself right again. I'll be around to let you know. All mm. right. So, uh, I'm just, I'm just pleased if I was right last week. <laughs> like, oh, well, I mean, uh, I got a fair bit wrong about that. Look, the other thing that I haven't mentioned about this is that Sweden, with its um, commendable low excess death rates, has a higher rate of boosters than we do, Jack. While we've got higher rate of, of higher rates of booster shots. Yeah. So we've got they've got sixty six percent, just under sixty six percent on three shots or more, and we're at fifty four. I think they think they just about shut down the vaccine program here in Hong Kong. But this is part of the problem. The, the people say, "Oh, you know, like we had that idiot, um, uh, what's his name, um, uh, the the host of the Channel Nine show, um, the morning show, uh, Stefanovic, saying, uh, look, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm only, you know, I'm not getting any more boosters. I'm not going to do any more.' You know, I mean, and people in high risk situations, either by age or by uh, pre-existing health condition might be might be being influenced by that, and I just don't mm. think that's right. And that mm. may well be a trend that leads to at least some of the cause of our excess deaths. Mm. Anyway, over to sport. Happier times, Jack, because the Blues weren't they fantastic on Thursday night, knocking off the reigning premiers, making them look, making them humble them uh, with an eight-point win. Um, was a very good performance. Um, I love the way they just steadied in the last three or four minutes where they've been a bit shaky in the past, Jack, um, with sides coming back at them. Um, who did we have on the uh, – oh, the Friday, Friday night we had the blackout, Jack. Did yeah. you see that? I did. Yeah, and uh, the, <laughs> it wasn't just the lights went out. Uh, the power went out across the ground, so we couldn't – 
hear anything. There was an eerie science from Brian Taylor that I quite found. I found quite enjoyable. Yeah, well, I, I was watching it in the in the boozer with some mates, and we don't have the sound up, which is a much better. I recommend it as a way to watch the AFL. Turn the sound down, just watch it. Yeah, well, they were off. I think it's the best part of now, and um, they did resume the game. I think uh, the Lions were about 40 points in front <coughs> when the they delay managed occurred. To, managed to fall over the line at the end. And then <laughs> Melbourne came home with a wet sail. Uh, but if the game had been going on, I think they might have got a bit more of a percentage boost, the Lions. They're, uh, they're one and one. Who has started well? well Collingwood, you know, this surprised me. Uh, but they look very good. Uh, they've beaten uh, Geelong and uh, they made light work of Port Adelaide last week, gave them a nice old belting. Who else has started well in your eyes, Jack? Um, uh, the Saints have started all right. Yeah. I, <laughs> speaking of punditry, they were my tip to uh, win the wooden spoon. So uh, perhaps don't listen to me too much in AFL. But, um, uh, I, I, yeah. I, I, prob- I did, see a nice, did see a nice bit on the social media Um uh, an ex one of yours and an ex Collingwood player, the only bloke who played a hundred games with both clubs, Daisy Thomas, right. um, was on there, and he's being interviewed about his. Um, he goes on this thing. He beat, went on this thing called the Carlton Draft, where uh, country and suburban clubs can put in a request to have a former player come and play with them. Right? Um, and he got assigned to go to Neil, who hadn't won a game in a thousand days. <laughs> and, right. um, and they hung on to get the win, and he spent the last quarter um, drifting across half-back, picking up the easy kicks. And Nathan Buckley's comment at the time was, that's the dream of every retired player to be the loose man in defence you know, <laughs> uh, uh, when the wind's coming your way in a very dry way. Yeah, so, so you'd still be pretty – you'd look still pretty fit, Daisy. Yeah. Uh, uh, Nathan Buckley signed up this year to go on the um, on the Carlton Draft uh, scheme. So, uh, and, you can and hear the hamstrings twanging now. Yeah, yeah, they were asking uh, uh, Daisy Thomas about that. He says, yeah, a few of us have been talking about Heath Shaw was on the phone and we're talking about getting the Rat Pack together, you know, um, uh, uh, Alan Didak and um, the Brownlow medalist um, uh, uh, Swanee uh, and myself. Um, Swanee's uh, had a game uh, recently, yeah. Yeah, and, and he says, and we'll play for the other mob. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes to show that all of those years at Collingwood, there were factions within the group. Yeah, well, they won a flag <coughs> yeah. that era. But um, look, the other the other mob has started really well, Jack, and and uh, this pleases uh, this pleases me because it was my uh, my father's team, North Melbourne. They've had two wins. Uh, they they've been uh, wooden spooners or thereabouts for a long time. And uh, started out well with two good wins. Beat the Eagles they're, first they've time. They've already equaled their tally from last year. <laughs> they do look – I don't know if you've seen them play. They they actually – they've got a very good midfield uh, and they've got a few weapons around the place and, and yeah, their defence is not the worst. I'm, I'm not sure they're going to go all that far, but they're, they're okay they're, and they're certainly better. They're, they're certainly better. Yeah, yeah. Look, let, let's see. I mean, uh, who did they beat on the weekend? Um, I'm they sure. beat Freo. Not a bad effort. Fremantle on a bad side. They beat Freo in Freo. That's that's in Freo in Freo. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's not too yeah. bad. So, so they're much much better. Um, the best thing I saw on social media in the football was after the Collingwood game uh, at the weekend was on Twitter. 
Peter Dacos may become the, the third best Dacos uh, footballer ever. Gee, that's early days. Early days for that. So early I think, days. I, think one I, of thought, them I, thought, I thought that was quite good. One of them's having a little bit of a spell with injury too, I think, at the moment. Yeah. Uh, just uh, that was uh, enforced uh, last weekend. Um, Tigers looked pretty good to me too. Uh, they yeah. had a draw with Carlton first up and then uh, gave Adelaide a nice old touch-up. Adelaide came back, as you'd expect, in front of their home crowd. But uh, the, the Tigers hung on. They've got plenty of weapons. They've got the two new midfielders. Uh, from the Giants, and um, and that's allowed them a lot of options like Dusty going forward, although I think he'll miss a game or two with an injury, uh, possibly a hammy. Uh, NRL, Jack, uh, the one of the Queenslanders going to call it? Are they going to call it a derby or a derby, or what are they going to call it uh, when the Dolphins play the Broncos? Well, it was a full, it was a full house, it looked to me. Uh, yeah, the, I saw that on the telly. Um, uh, and, and a cracking game. Um, uh, it's... You know, you, you look at that and you say, why didn't the NRL do this about 20 years ago? <laughs> probably should have done it quite a few years ago. Broncos came out with the first win of whatever they're going to call it, derby-wise. Um, and a uh, very interesting round of NRL, Jack. It was uh, it was a, a bit, you know, just a handful of points between every game. Um and uh, no beltings at all. So it looks like a very even sort of season. Even Melbourne Storm only won by a couple of tries at home against the Tigers, who were winless. Um, and uh, and it, it would just give a, a Premier League coverage, which we don't do very often, Jack, but can Arsenal... Can Arsenal now relax a little bit? And I was talking to a, a mad Gunners fan uh, last night. He's toey as hell. I think they've ten more games. They're eight points in front of uh, Man-, Man City. And um, you know, uh, I said, mate, just got to start relaxing now. They had a couple of big wins in the last week. The, 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 the Premier League just now goes into a bit of a layoff while they play the European Cup, but. Um, um, they look like they might get the goods. And at the very bottom end of it, Jack, the other thing to watch is Wrexham AFC, uh, heavily heavily supported under new management uh, with Ryan Reynolds and his mate uh, throwing a lot of money and energy at the club. Uh, and they look like, uh, well, they're about three points up uh, at the top of their particular table uh, with the chance of them being uh, promoted into the next comp next year. I don't know if you've seen the uh, the Wrexham AFC um, uh, um, documentary, but it is a wonderful thing. A wonderful oh, thing that Ryan Reynolds and, and his, uh, his mate I'll, from... I'll, I'll have a look at that. Um, um, my lad's a huge Spurs fan, and once again, Spurs are sacked their manager. They just keep missing out on Europe. Um, that, that's that's their first that's their first thing. Arsenal. Well, look, Man City have come from the clouds. Did did it last year. Everyone's sort of expecting them to do it now. They do play each other uh, at uh, at um, uh, the Gunners' home ground uh, in a couple of weeks or three or four weeks' time, and that probably be the one. What's that it called? The Emirates Stadium or something? Emirates. Yes, thank you. I was trying to think. It didn't. This is. Uh, uh, it is a very fine, um, a very fine stadium for for soccer. Now take us out, Jack. Um, Prince Andrew, much benighted member of the royal family. He's going to do had, a bit of, he's, he's going to do a bit of writing. He, he's had a look at um, 
Prince Harry's example and with the success <laughs> of his book Spare, and he's considering um, uh, knocking out a book of his own because he was the, the he was a spare before Harry was a spare. Look, he's always um, hasn't he always had the best advice available to him, Prince yeah, Andrew. Yeah, you know, just yeah. uh, any scandal that comes along, he's been able to uh, have these clever people tell yeah. uh, make it go away. This could be the greatest literary act of self-harm. I thought Harry's was pretty good, but Prince Andrew's is going to top that, I think. Uh, well, I think, I think uh, at least Harry's book sold. Um, it did yeah. sell very well. Oh, no, Andrew, Andrew's, books would, Andrew's book would sell. We'd all buy it just for the laugh, you know. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I think I go as far as reading an extract. Yeah, he, he has a spectacular lack of judgment. He's the bloke who walked out of the Emily Matlas uh, interview, that car crash of interview, and said oh, to his century staff, I thought that went another way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was called a car crash. Someone called it a train crash, and I wrote about it and called it. It wasn't just a train crash. It was a train crash into an orphanage before coming uh, before be, before co- coming to rest on a box of kittens. It was an absolute disaster. Well, um, well he, so he, we can he, expect he, nothing he, else. He, he told his mother, the late queen, that he thought it went rather well. Yeah, I don't sweat. I was at a she, pizza place. Uh, There's no witnesses she, to she may have agreed at the time, and then a few days she had taken away all his privileges, so she came to a different conclusion. Uh, um, but yes, still- I'll be look- I'll be looking forward to that. Um, uh, I just like to see people do themselves harm, huh? um, <laughs> particularly at that level. Uh, particularly at that level. Uh, yeah. And just before we finish, um, the vice president of the United States has hopped on the um, uh, on the Air Force Two, right, uh, and gone across to pester the Africans. Um, and, uh, she's Where's she gone this- first? She's gone to South oh. Africa. She'll uh, they won't have the power on. Um, I think she's in Ghana first. Right. And and the, and the first speech she made was there are a number of things on the issue of the economy as a whole that we must do, and a lot of that work is the work that I am here to do on the continent. Uh, as you have mentioned, we have had today, this afternoon, a wide-ranging discussion. We have discussed a number of important topics, including the importance of concepts and priorities such as freedom and liberty. There you um, go. What's wrong with that? And uh, as a aim wa- small, Jack. That's what you've got to do. As as one wag said, she's like the um, uh, the kid in about about the fourteen year old kid who's do, reading a book report out loud in class on a book she hasn't read. <laughs> well, I think with that bon mot, uh, we'll uh, leave it there, Jack. Thank you very much for your time today and your thoughts on all matters global and uh, and in Australian. Uh, politics and society as well. Uh, and we just want to remind our listeners that if uh, you want to hit us up, uh, ask us some questions, make some comments, make some criticisms, death threats if you like, and you can hit me up on my Twitter DMs. They're always open. And Jack, give it to your sub stack is Hong Kong Jack, I believe. Hong Kong Jack dot sub stack. Substack, and that's how you get all the You leave all sorts of nasty stuff on there. You want to abuse the tribe out of him. (laughs) Go and do that. All right. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for your time, and thank you, listeners. And we'll uh, we'll be back next week with another show. Thank you. Cheers.